These three remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Our lectionary readings this morning include perhaps the most famous verse in America, John 3.16, which is all about love, so obviously I am not going to talk about love. We all love love, so naturally I kept on the road, and as every super good 21st century Christian knows, all roads lead to Romans which leads us this morning to the wonderfully fun topic, faith. Faith is so wonderfully touchy and divisive, as every Protestant or Lutheran, Calvinist, secularist, Methodist, Catholic, agnostic, literally every one of us can attest. And to paraphrase Bishop N.T. Wright, how in the world are we supposed to keep Romans in any kind of perspective? Roman bestrides our narrow world like a colossus, and we petty exegetes walk under its huge legs and peep out. No, let's not go there. As my wife can attest, through many grueling and tedious conversations this week, We are, in fact, going there. As one commentator put it, to deeply consider justification by faith is like the indoor sport of theological arm wrestling, which is fine for those who like that sort of thing, but most of us do not. To say it another way, it's very easy to think deeply about things we like, like hope and love, Because things like hope and love are so comfy. But faith, it's not so comfy. Faith just divides us, or so they say. But Paul writes that faith is ultimately a matter of the heart. So how can we respond with faith this morning from the heart? And I want to say a, a few uh, brief words of exclamation or of explanation this morning. Uh, this is one of those weird texts in Romans chapter four, and really the entire book of Romans. One of those weird texts and one of those weird sermons uh, where attention to even the prepositions matter. And so uh, I, I, I thought at the last minute that I would just read Thomas Cramer's homily on justification this morning. Um, but that one is even more dense than what I'm about to bring for you this morning. And so uh, we need to pay careful attention this morning. We need to pay attention to every detail because it really, it really does matter for us this morning. And so uh, I say all that to say that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look to Romans chapter 4 and verse 16 in particular... And if you look there, you might not recognize what I'm saying, and that's because I am I'm following a very wooden, uh, very wooden translation of the Greek this morning. Okay, uh, don't let that scare you. Your English Bible is totally fine, and almost every quotation this morning is going to be from the ESV, so you can follow along. But we're following uh, my elementary translation this morning, and so if you will look with me at chapter 4 and verse 16, we're going to see in the first three clauses, not even this whole verse, in the first three clauses of this, we're going to see first faith and second grace, 
and third promise. And so first, in Romans chapter 4 and verse 16, therefore, Paul says, therefore, it is by faith. It is by faith. As one popular, typically American pundit describes, religion is just the language you use to describe your faith. Although we're all speaking different languages, we're all pretty much saying the same thing. To say we live in a confused culture is not new or a unique reality in the history of the world. As the great pastor theologian Reverend Ben Sharp puts it, we live in the confused age of self-expressive, autonomous individualism. And our particular brand of confusion shows up very clearly when we talk about faith. Why is this? Because faith has an orientation. It's directed somewhere. I trust my wife. I have faith in the pew that when I sit on it, it's not going to crumble underneath me. I did not inspect the pew. I did not test the load or all the joints and everything else. I didn't test the foundation that it's sitting upon this morning. I just have faith that it's not going to fall down when I sit on it. Faith is directed somewhere. And in general, our culture has given up on the idea of faith or given up on the idea of God. But as Paul Vitz, a psychologist at NYU, puts it, America is the most polytheistic nation in history. There are 260 million gods. Every person is their own arbiter of truth. From organic milk to assault rifles, from Duke to UNC, there's probably a few different amens in that one uh, this morning. From Anglicanism to our gender, we determine everything for ourselves. We're told from the left and from the right that we should be free to live the way we want, to construct for ourselves our own way, and even when every person is saying completely different things, we're all pretty much saying the same thing. Because I am God, you are God, and faith is ultimately faith in myself. I just got real tired saying all that right there. As my mom would say, that makes me tired all over. Uh, so if faith, if faith has a direction, if it has a direction, what should our faith be directed towards? Again, in verse 16, therefore it is by faith in order that it would accord with Grace. Our faith, the Christian faith, must be in accordance with grace. It is all gift. According to, according to Romans 12, even our faith is given to us by God. But why must faith be a gift? See, it is true that we live in a self-assured, self-expressive, self-centered culture, but... Our present cultural state is not all bad. It's not all doom and gloom. We live in a culture that is mostly, and hear me when I say this, it is mostly just. We drive on the right side of the road. We're not generally worried about people driving on the wrong side of the road. We're concerned with righteous, 
righteousness. We live in a society that generally praises and rewards hard work. We live in a society that generally frowns upon evil and pursues evildoers. And our aim, our aim as a culture is in general to honor women, to pursue racial reconciliation and value children. You see, in the first and second century context of the Roman Empire, where the church was born and where it thrived, these things were not true. And it was Christians who honored women, who began the long, hard work of gospel racial reconciliation. It was the Christians who valued children, the sick, the poor, and even the rich. So this morning, I want to say, be thankful Be thankful, Christian, in the history of the world and even when compared to many other places in our present day, however misguided, and God only knows how misguided we are, we live in a society that's aim is to uphold righteousness. And into this context, into this confused context, into this Uh, kind of righteous context, the letter of the Romans comes. In Romans chapter 1, we see that humanity, all of us, are bent inwards. We're bent inwards to the core. We are sinners, all of us, Jew and Gentile, Christian and atheist. And he moves on in Romans chapter 2. Paul says that whether you are an insider or an outsider, you have the law of God written on your heart. We all no matter how self-centered our aim, want to be, and in many cases are, do-gooders. We're not just hearers of the law, but we are doers. And I want you to look with me at Romans chapter 3 and in verse 21, which is really the section where our text comes to us in Romans chapter 4. It's really where it starts. Uh, look with me at Romans chapter 3 and verse 21. There's going to be a lot of Bible here, okay? So uh, if, you're a, if you're an audio learner, you can just listen and hear it all perfectly. But you're probably not. You're going to need to follow along in your Bibles as well. So Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 21. But, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteous, they bear witness to the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified or are declared righteous by his grace as a gift or for free, gratis, through the redemption of That is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And skipping down to verse 28 of chapter 3. For we hold that one is justified, one is declared righteous by faith apart from works of the law. And then in our text this morning, starting in the verse, second half of, the, of verse 1 of chapter 4, if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but, but, and this is important, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift or as grace, but as his due. 
And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. That's a lot of, that's a lot of Bible. Are you with me? Stay with me. We all want to be treated justly, to receive our paycheck for the job well done, to be pretty and to be called pretty. We don't want your handouts or your pity or your mercy. Don't give me a trophy when I just lost. That's a, that's a, that's another thing. That's another conversation. Don't, don't give me a trophy when I just lost. Does this dress make me look fat? Because we have the law of God written upon our hearts, we want to live righteously and earn reward. But before the perfect righteousness of God, our works are as filthy rags. Only perfect obedience, full payment, would make it right for God to buy us back. To let off Hitler... To acquit even me just because I said sorry isn't justice. What is the unique to Christianity answer to satisfy perfect righteousness? The answer is all over chapter 4. It's in verse 3, 4, 5, 6, 8, 9, 10, 11, 22, 23, and 24. Right, the answer is Jesus' perfect righteousness must be counted to us. It must be reckoned to us. It must be gifted to us for free because of God's mercy and grace alone. As the Bible scholar Simon Gathercole says about this word counted or reckoned, by, defi- by divine decision, the believer is reckoned as having accomplished all that God requires. Justification is God's creative act, whereby through divine determination, the believer has done everything that God requires. You, me, and every single person on earth wants so badly To feel the catharsis of having earned our own favor. To receive praise for a job well done. And this is all well and good, as they say. But it is not enough before God unless done completely. Jesus' perfect wholehearted righteousness must be counted to us as if we did it ourselves. You see, in our pride... In our pride, we fixate upon our own goodness, our own truth, our own beauty in self-centered vainglory. And the opposite is also true. Pride can also lead us to fixate upon our own filth or our own shame or our own brokenness in self-centered pity. You see, whether you're arrogant like me or you are Debbie Downer, Whether you are given to overconfident extroversion or self-loathing introversion, Jesus covers every temperament. You cannot justify yourself. So this morning, the Apostle Paul calls us, and Jesus calls us, to put your faith in the justifying blood of Jesus who covers you. Who clothes you. 
Since our justification is completely in accord, it's completely by grace, does this mean that we should sin more so that God can give us more grace? Does it mean that it doesn't matter how we live because God forgives all in Christ? Absolutely not. You can read Romans 3. You can read a couple times in Romans 6. Uh, It's really all over the letter. Paul begins and ends this letter with this phrase and with this goal to bring about the obedience of faith. We offer our obedience as a child offers a picture drawn with crayons to their daddy. Daddies don't delight in their children's artwork because it is somehow the best. But as a mommy or a daddy, there is no greater artwork. There is no greater delight than your child's offering. Justification by faith will lead to childlike obedience because true faith upholds the law. I've already quoted N.T. Wright. So there's Father Keith, and now I'm going to quote C.S. Lewis. There's Father Ben. Uh, Father, <laughs> Father Ben, or C.S. Lewis, would say, Handing everything over to Christ does not, of course, mean that you stop trying. To trust him means, of course, trying to do all that he says. There would be no sense in saying you trusted a person if you would not take his advice. Thus, if you have really handed yourself over to him, it must follow that you're trying to obey him. But trying in a new way, a less worried way. Or as our Anglican 39 Articles of Religion say, which they say it really, really well, in Article 11, on the justification of man, we are accounted righteous before God only for the merit of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by faith, and not for our own works or deservings. Wherefore, that we are justified by faith only is a most wholesome doctrine and very full of comfort as more largely expressed in the homily on justification, which I referred to earlier, uh, which I commend to your reading, your very slow and over and over again reading. In Article 12, which just follows this, is really important here. Albeit that good works, which are the fruits of faith and follow after justification, cannot put away our sins and endure the severity of God's judgment, yet are they pleasing and acceptable to God in Christ, like a, like a picture drawn with crayons. They're pleasing and acceptable to God in Christ and do spring out necessarily of a true and lively faith insomuch that by them a lively faith may be as evidently known as a tree discerned by the fruit. So let me remind you again this morning, we, we have to reject both self-confidence and self-loathing. Faith directs us outside of ourself, outside of ourself. So stop looking at yourself and look to Christ. And lastly, I would love to preach a whole sermon on this. I would love it so, so much. Uh, therefore, it is by faith in accordance with grace to the end that the promise might be guaranteed to all the offspring. As Father Ben showed last week from Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3 and Romans chapter 5, 
The declaration of the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection restores our broken relationships with God and with man, reversing the curse of the fall. You see, the Old Testament is not the boogeyman. It is not the boogeyman, and the New Testament isn't nice, lovey Jesus. The whole Bible is a unified story of God's redemption of the world. Just read Romans chapter 15, verses 9 through 12, if you want some proof texts. Jesus, here it is, Jesus fulfills the promise of the Abrahamic covenant. In Jesus, all the nations will be blessed. And so your justification, my justification, our common salvation is part of the true story of the whole world. Our justification is not simply about me and Jesus, but all of us together in Christ, grafted into the righteous branch. Justification by faith points you away from yourself, away from self-pride or self-loathing towards Jesus Christ, and he is our righteousness. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen.